But if you have your app, go ahead and open it. If you have your Bible, join me in Isaiah chapter number 30. I want to speak on the subject, the flag still waves. This morning, I want to speak to America. I want to speak to us as Americans. And I want to remind us on this 4th of July weekend, the flag still waves. On our 244th anniversary of the founding of our nation, our birthday, I want to remind us our flag still waves. And it reminds us that America was birthed by the providence of God. America, I believe, history reveals that America was birthed by the providence of God. What is providence? It's the place where God's promise and God's purpose intersect. And America, America as a nation was birthed out of the providence of God. And sometimes in America, in our individualistic mindset and culture, it's hard for us Americans because we think so much the individual, our individual personal rights, to understand the, the sense of God has a providential assignment for our country. The closing sentence in the Declaration of Independence states, and I quote, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, end of quote. The framers, our founders, believed that the country in which they would sign their name and pledge their fortunes to establish was the product of divine providence. The United States of America is the longest serving constitutional government in the world today. 244 years. France, and during that time, has had 15 governments. In the 20th century, Russia had four. Poland has had seven. 244 years continual a constitutional government. America was founded by the providence of God. Now I have to acknowledge, and you would too, and history reveals, America is not perfect. America is not perfect. Both our culture and history reveals that. But in the words of one of the popes that if God did not forgive the world, it would not exist. I agree with that. God has shined his grace and his favor upon our nation. And many times we have not lived up to God's standard, but God has a purpose for our nation. Our national anthem, penned by Francis Scott Key. Do you know it's a question mark? Oh, say, can you see? Does the banner still wave? It's a, it's a question. Almost saying that in every generation, the question needs to be asked again, is the flag still waving? Is the banner still projecting its message? Is it still rallying people to the call and the providence that God intended? In Isaiah chapter number 30, we're going to read verse number 17 and 18. Let me set the scene for you. The nation of Israel at that time was at a moment in which Israel itself had a civil war, had, had a division. 
There was north against south, Israel and Judah, two separate nations that had separated. And Judah, God had a word for Judah. Judah was trying to sign and go into an alliance with Egypt against the Assyrians. Now wait a minute. God had delivered Israel out of Egypt's bondage. But Judah was willing to sign a pact, an alliance with Egypt against the Assyrians. They were coming up with their own plan and they were looking to another nation for their security. And God has something to say. God has something to say. There was nothing wrong with what Judah believed But God had a problem with its plan. You know, sometimes we're like that. We affirm, I'm a Christ follower. I believe in God. We're one nation under God. We we say individually we believe in God. But sometimes our plans and our practices don't align with God. We post in our profile on social media that we're a follower of Jesus Christ. But we post things and we like things that are in violation to God's word and violation to God's character. And God is calling us individually and a country, America, to live out the standards and to live out the beliefs on which it was founded. Isaiah 30, here's what God said to Judah. You will be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill or a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. How vivid. How vivid. A picture. You're, you're all alone. You're, you, you, you will be that tattered banner. But God says in verse number 18, so the Lord must wait for you to come. We want God to come to us, but God says, I'm not the one that left. God says, I'm waiting for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord God is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. And God is saying to the nation of Judah, you're trying to come out with your own plan. What you need to do is return to the Lord. Come back to the Lord and watch God defend you and watch God step in in your behalf. I think that's apropos for America today. Look at what we're facing. I tell people frequently in pastoral conversations, I said if if it's just one thing happening in your life, it could be circumstantial. If it's just one thing, lost a job or or you had a financial situation, it's just one thing. But I tell people, when it's everything in your life, God is talking to you. Look at America right now. Our economy is in trouble. 40 million plunged in unemployment just this year. Facing COVID, a virus that we still don't have a cure or vaccine for. Racial tension in our streets. Political tension right now divising us at an all-time high. And we're going into a presidential election that will only hype up. It seems like it's everywhere. Politically, financially socially, and even physically. And again, I repeat, when it's everything, God is trying to talk to you. America, 
America, don't be, don't be the chattered banner on the hilltop alone. Return to God. Our founding fathers understood, and we must reaffirm, that our nation was founded because of the providence of God, and we must live out God's standard. Can I just pick a moment in history that I think illustrates the providence of God? A little-known war, probably one of the wars that few of us know much about, the War of 18 and 12. The War of 18 and 12 was between Britain and the United States. This is 40 years after the birth of our independence when we went to war against Britain to declare our independence. The colonies, the nation, was merely 40 years old and already they found themselves in a war with Britain again. And Britain intended to squash forever the skirmishes and this rebellious, rebellious, rebellious colonies and bring them back into alliance and under British rule. It was August 18 and 14, one of the hottest summers on record. Some 8,000 residents in, in Washington, D.C. at that particular time. It was a sweltering heat, stagnant marshes. It was an infestation of of hatchery of disease and mosquitoes. What made matters worse? The British troops were already moving up from Chesapeake Bay towards our capital, Washington, D.C. British soldiers, known as the Redcoats, the top-ranking, the, 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 the best of the best, that military might that had had influence around the world from India to Australia. That military might that was known as the, the strongest naval army in the world at that particular time. Between 18 and 12, 18 and 14, there were a few skirmishes. They were trying to, trying to get their foothold in the Americas. But something happened in Britain that opened the door for Britain to unleash its strength against these colonies. Napoleon Bonaparte was arrested and put in the island of Elba. And the threat to the British Empire was now removed. So they unleashed their fury on these colonies. They dispatched their crack troops and they were going to give their full attention to this rebellion in America. And they had determined if they could attack Washington, D.C., our capital, and burn it to the ground, that it would so demoralize and it would have such a psychological effect upon the Americans that they would acquiesce and surrender. 4,500 troops began to move towards Washington, D.C., British, the British Redcoats. There was an effort at a place called Bladenburg to make a stand against them. Our president at that particular time, James Madison, was there. But the U.S. militia was routed at Bladenburg. They retreated back. There stood nothing between them and Washington, D.C. The militia retreat, uh, retreated back just a little bit outside of the city and was going to make a stand. 
But when the British troops began to move, the militia retreated. August the 24th, 18 and 14, they moved towards Washington, D.C. Nothing stood in their way. Our first lady at that time, Dolly Madison, evacuated the White House. The British troops were coming. The city, they, they began to escape into the woods. Dolly Madison, in a hurry, loaded a few things she could on the back of a wagon, and she would escape across the Potomac, taking, pulling off of the wall at the last moment, a painting of our first president, President George Washington. There, other things were left in the White House. There was food left on the table. When the British soldiers arrived, they sat down in the White House on the table and ate the food, pillaged and plundered the White House and burned it. Began a process of pillaging Washington, D.C. The next day, on the 25th of August, they were going to continue their pillage and burn Washington, D.C. to the ground. But the storm of all storms would come. Some historians say miraculously the hand of God intervened. The hot weather, the weather at that particular time began to turn. A low pressure system began to sweep down unexpectedly. The skies went dark. A furious torrent of wind and rain began to fall. Historians say hurricane force winds and rainfall came and extinguished all the fires and in, that they had lit to destroy Washington, D.C. While this storm was going on, a tornado set down in Washington, D.C., and it began to pick up the cannons of the British troops and began to throw them and strewn them in every direction and destroy them. When the storm was over, one British soldier asked a resident of Washington, D.C., and I quote, Great God, madam, is this the kind of storm that you're accustomed to in this infertile land? And she spoke to this British soldier, said, No, that was the providence of God to drive out our enemies from this city. History records... There were more casualties by that storm upon the British soldiers than the battle at Bradenburg. With our, our capital smoldering, the White House burned down. It was September the 11th, 18 and 14. Yes, 9-11. September the 11th, 18 and 14. The British soldiers began to move towards Baltimore. Understanding they had already pillaged Washington, there was one city left, and if they could bring it down, they believed they could crush, they could crush this new founding nation called the United States, and they could seize it again as a British colony. They began to move up Chesapeake Bay. They began to move in every direction towards Baltimore. Then... On September the 11th, 18 and 14, church bells began to ring. Militia left church pews, gathered together 
for what was considered at that time the one last stand against their enemy at a place called Fort McHenry to keep the British ships and soldiers from reaching Baltimore. There were business owners at that time that took their ships and sank them in the bay to make a blockade. They sacrificed everything, their livelihood, to save the nation. And then there were soldiers, that militia, that gathered on a little island called Fort McHenry. Their cannons were not strong enough to hurl the cannonballs out against the 100 ships that were coming against them. And for 25 hours, there was a bombardment. Began to rain down on them cannonballs, the assault on that fort. If the fort fell, they would have Baltimore. And if they had Baltimore, they believed they would have the nation. And for 25 hours, they endured it. It was Major Armistead said that he believed some 1,500 cannonballs and rockets and bombs landed on that fort. It was Francis Scott Key that watched that bombardment and he penned the words that would later become our national anthem as he described it, what he saw that night, that there were rockets, red glare, and bombs bursting in air. That was the battle. That was the assault that Francis Scott Key wrote about. When the battle was over, it revealed miraculously only four U.S. soldiers had died in that 25-hour bombardment. The British soldiers were so disillusioned and lost heart, they retreated the British fleet back to, to uh, Bermuda. One more battle would ensue. One more battle would ensue in the War of 18 and 14, and it would occur uh, at a, in, in uh, 18 and 15. It would be Andrew Jackson's sharpshooters. The last stand, as it were, 10,000 British soldiers began to move and began to seize villages under the cover of darkness and under the cover of a fog. They had nothing to stop them. But as it were, when they got at a strategic point, there, Andrew Jackson's sharpshooters were poised, way outnumbered, outgunned, but they had positioned themselves in a strategic place, and then all of a sudden the fog lifted, and Andrew Jackson's soldiers began to fire. 2,042 casualties on the British soldiers and only 71 American casualties that day. And that was the battle that would end the battle of the war of 18 and 14. Several times throughout that battle, several times, excuse me, throughout that war, it was thought that the hopes of this new nation, the United States, was over. The strongest military might in the world who had flexed its power around the world, should have crushed this new founding country. And they were about to. The government of Britain was about to unleash its final fury upon this nation in 18 and 15. Then all of a sudden, something very strange happened. 
Napoleon escaped from the island of Elba and they were forced to call all of their ships and all of their troops from around the world back to defend their homeland. And when we were about to breathe our last breath, an incident of history turned it around and America had peace and America survived the war of 18 and 12. Time and again, God's hand intervened. President James Madison, at the conclusion of the war, in March the 4th, 18 and 15, issued a proclamation that was passed by both houses of Congress, and it was a day of religious thanksgiving for God's hand upon America. And I quote from that proclamation, a day of thanksgiving and of doubt, devout acknowledgement to God Almighty for his great goodness manifested in restoring to them the blessing of peace. No people ought to feel greater obligation of celebration of goodness of the great disposer of events than the, and the destiny of nations than the people of the United States. His kind providence originally conducted them. He's protected, cherished them under the difficulties and trials by which they have faced. And he determined that day was a day of proclamation and thanksgiving. What am I saying? The flag still waved. The flag still waved 1776 when men pledged their fortune and determined that they would establish a nation that would have independence, that there would be freedom of liberty, freedom of worship, freedom from, from oppression, free, freedom from foreign domination. The flag waved that day. At Fort McHenry, that fateful night in which that bombardment came and Francis Scott Key pinned our national anthem, the flag still waved. On the top of Iwo Jima in World War II, when the Marines hoisted the flag, the flag still waved. It waves today at the White House. It waves today at the State House. It waves today across America. It waves today in embassies around the world. And it's a reminder that we are a nation under God and we have enjoyed the providence of God in our nation. And it was Abraham Lincoln when our nation was torn with strife, when, when there was division in our nation at the end of the Civil War, he gave a speech at a place called Gettysburg at a battlefield. And he said, and I quote, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. End of quote. And today, I think it's appropriate for us as Americans to be reminded and to call us back. It's time that America have a new birth of freedom under God. That phrase in our Pledge of Allegiance seems appropriate to be reminded today. Let me point out key statements in that sentence one nation yeah one nation one people one nation we describe ourselves too frequently in America as I'm on the 
red or the blue side. I'm a Republican, Democrat, or independent. It's not about the red or the blue. It's about the red, white, and blue. It's about one nation. It's not the West Coast against the East Coast. It's not the North against the South. One nation. God and His providence established this nation. Under God. One nation. Under God. It would be Benjamin Franklin who would say, Men will either be governed by God or be governed by tyrants. That's true in biblical history. Every time the nation of Israel took itself out from under the covering and the guidance and the direction of God, they fell into bondage. They, they fell into oppression. They fell into plague. They fell, they fell into, into trial and difficulty. God's word is, when you come from out from under my covering, you will be the lone flag flagpole on the hill, the tattered banner, until you return to me. It was in 1954, by an act of Congress, a law was passed to put those words in our Pledge of Allegiance under God. I wonder today if we need to, if we need to just vote it in again in our heart. Do we just say it so quickly and glibly? Do we say under God but live the way we want? Are we like Judah? God will make our own plans. You just bless us on the plans we make. And God says that's not how it works. Come under my hand and follow my plan. One nation under God. Indivisible. So many things divide us today. So many things are dividing us in our country. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And I just want to, for a moment, admonish all Christ followers. Yes, yes, we have freedom of speech. But the Bible says we need to guard in the way we say things. What we post on social media. And do not characterize and use demagoguery towards other people. I have said before and I will continue to say, whomever is in the White House, as a believer, my job is to pray for them, not to criticize them. I don't, I don't use the platform and I, I don't use my position as a way to give out my political view. That is secondary. What matters is what the Bible says. And the Bible tells me I'm to pray for my leaders. That means my, my mayor, my governor, lieutenant governor, congress, senators, president, and vice president. Irrespective of party, I need to pray for them. It's so easy to be against today. But in our Pledge of Allegiance, we call ourselves to be indivisible. And it says, with liberty and justice for all. Yes, I hear Americans say today, and we enjoy a level of freedom few people enjoy around the world. And in our individualistic rights of liberty, 
May I remind us, anytime you say liberty, always finish the phrase, liberty and justice. Liberty and justice. That speaks to racism and justice. That speaks to, if you want to have, you say, I, I'm for liberty, pro, pro-choice, but justice says pro-life. We cannot take one without the other. And I call upon America today to be one not just of liberty, but of justice. And I call us, according to 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, Many of you are already quoting the verse in your mind. But if you don't know what that verse is, let me share it with you. For those online, let me share it with you. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. That's God's promise. 714. 2 Chronicles 714. So here's what we're going to do. On 714, July the 14th, 714, we're going to have a 714 prayer moment. From 2 Chronicles 714. On 7.14, at 7.14 a.m. and 7.14 p.m., I'm going to live stream a prayer moment. And I'm going to ask you, if you're at the house or a place, 7.14 a.m. that day, where you can pause in for 14 minutes, join me in praying for our nation. I'm going to ask you to do that. If you can join us again at 7.14 p.m., I will live stream it for 14 minutes. And I'm going to read 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And I'm going to invite you to join me to pray for America. Because God says if his people will humble themselves and pray, repent of their sin and seek God's face, God said, I will heal their land. I call this, let's pray that God pushes this dreadful virus out of our country and away from the world. Let's pray that division in America... God can heal that breach once and for all, not just suppress it and let another issue, social issue, unearth it again and then erupt and cause us to cause us to for America and to turn against America. Let's pray that God will God will intervene and turn the heart of America back to God. That's our 714 prayer. And I'm going to invite you to join me. Not only now, but I'm going to invite you to join me on that day. We're going to ask our church family, the Westover family, to set aside July the 14th as a day of fasting and prayer. You may want to fast a meal that day. You may want to fast the whole day. You, 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 may, want to, you may want to just turn off your social media that day. That would be a wonderful fast. That would be a wonderful fast if we could just unplug from all the social media and all that we consume and put our focus upon God on 714. Would you join me now in standing? And we're going to pray for our country and pray for our leaders.
We're going to pray that God will heal our land. Join me. Father, at this moment, we pause, not only for those that are in the room, but those who are in the online church. And we say, God, as your people, we call upon you. We remind ourselves we're nothing without you. Oh, God, we need you. Oh, God, we call upon you. Oh, God of heaven, hear our voice, hear our cry. God, we ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sin. God, forgive us of our our neglect. God, forgive us of our insensitivity. God, forgive America for drifting from you. And we ask you, Lord, let America return to the Lord. Let America serve God. Let America say again, one nation under God. I pray today for our president, our vice president, our Congress and our senators, irrespective of party, God, they're elected and I'm to pray for them. I pray, God, you'll protect them. I pray, God, protect their family. I pray, Lord, give them wisdom. God, help them draw, bring our country together and not divide our country. Not to be polarized on on party platforms, but to join together and work together as Americans. I pray for our governor and lieutenant governor. I pray, God, for our senators in, in Austin, our mayor, our city council. Watch over them. God, they have responsibilities on their shoulders right now that are unique during these troubling, trying times. I ask you, God, for our health care workers, our frontline workers, have your hand upon them and their family during this time. Protect their family. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, this dreadful virus, drive it from our land. God, in the name of Jesus, let us see the hand of God at work as we have seen providentially at times that there have been disasters that have been turned back from America only explained by divine providence. Let us see your hand at work again in America. God, I pray over families, those whose businesses have been affected by the economy, those whose jobs are being affected, either furlough or downsizing, I pray, God, your care over them, over their family and their relatives. God, for students that were dislodged from schooling and now we're anticipating in just about six or seven weeks school to start again. Father, have your hand upon families. Encourage families. And let us be a people that will serve the Lord, a people that return to you. I ask this in the name of Jesus.